Hi, my name is Kevin McQuillan, and the following pre-recorded conversations are my attempt to make sense of the human experience through the practice of yoga. I hope you enjoy. Good morning. I'm going to attempt to connect a number of things this morning that I've been speaking to and around over the last several days. Hindrances versus antidotes, which, which is a premise to my teaching. I like to lay out the hindrance, the things that get in our way, and then also the, the antidote to that particular hindrance. We're head to toe. We're head to toe in hindrances. And sometimes it's challenging to generate the antidote to certain issues and challenges we're up against. But that's a practice. It is a practice. And that's what we're doing here in practice and lucky us that we have the opportunity to practice and how important that is. You could easily make the argument that everything is a practice. Everything. The way in which you use your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your body, the way in which you move in the world, and so on and so forth. So everything's a practice. And how important it is to come at your practices consciously every once in a while, to get a sense of what they're gaining you. It's like, what's the outcome of your practice? That's what's so brilliant about the practice of yoga. All you have to feel into after your class is you, because that's the consequence of your practice. It's pretty astounding when you think about that and how important that is. You put 60 minutes of effort or however long into something, into a practice, and you get to be with yourself at the end and to notice what the hell you're doing to yourself. And do you like it? And if you do, how to replicate it? And if not, how to tweak it? And so I want to speak to some key hindrances. Arrogance, deceit, and resentment. Wow. That makes up a lot. Some haunting experiences in the human experience. Arrogance is something I already know enough. And I'm right. Deceit is something like I can twist reality in favor of my individual wants. And I can get away with it. Resentment, I've been wronged and people owe me something. And I have the right to be the victim. Oh, and we love being that. It's becoming more celebrated in society being a victim, which is a terrible idea. It's rewarding people for being a victim. Not ideal. It pits each other against one another. And that's a problem. Rarely is a solution in that. Rarely. You've wronged me. Now you owe me something and I'll punish you until you give it to me. That's how it can be. You don't have to look any farther than your relationships. It's playing out right there. Somebody doesn't pay attention to you, doesn't listen to you, forgets about you, all of these different things. This is where resentment will manifest. And so these are some striking experiences that we have to work our way through each and every day. It's not every once in a while. Consider it's in each and every day that we have to work through these experiences. And sometimes they stick around. 
And that's where they become problematic. When they stick around for too long, we store them in our body. And these become the leading practices. And that's very easy for these to become the leading practices. And so we're creating chaos and problems in our life. If you were to localize a problem that you have right now in your life, just one, there's more than that, but just one, what you'll notice that's nestled into this problem is one of these hindrances, if not all of them. And so it's kind of great to look at it that way. It's like, okay, what's in this problem? And how am I the problem? Because the typical viewpoint is there's a problem and it's you. It's not me. Don't forget, I'm perfect. I'm going to tell you a tale I don't want to tell you. It's a story that has good intentions but ends up in a place of embarrassment, humiliation, and shame. And it's one of my stories. And if I vomit, I apologize now. <laughs> I don't know why this came to me, but I just thought, okay, I'm going to say I'm going to share this out because I haven't shared it too much. A few years ago, I'll put it this way, I think <laughs> arrogance, deceit, and resentment also live in this tale. I've been in a relationship with a woman for the last six years. It was probably about three years ago now, something like that. She was in Canada, visiting her family. We were going to meet in New York. Sounds nice. Big Apple, big city. We hadn't seen each other for a few months. We were meeting there for like a health expo and then doing some other fun things. That was the plan. And so for whatever reason, this came to me. It's like, hey, I'm in the jungle. I haven't seen this woman I care about for several months. We're going to be in New York. We had this photo shoot. We're going to have a photographer. And what came to me is I'm going to propose. Because that seems like a reasonable thing to do. I saw the romance in it. It's like, wow, this is going to be really interesting and quite unique. And so I came up with this grand plan. One of the challenges is I didn't have a ring. Here I am in the jungle. It's like, good luck finding a ring. <laughs> and so for whatever reason... I decided to use a ring that was from my previous marriage. Why I thought that was a good idea in the moment, I have no bloody idea. But what I was able to do was change it. That's what I was able to do. Change the setting, change this. The only thing that was there was the rock. It was a nice rock. And I put a lot of thought into this. And it took me a lot of effort to figure this thing out. And so I smudged it. I prayed on it. I did all these different things to this thing. It's like I'm pouring my attention, my attention and intention to this thing. 
and this linear thinking I had. It's like, it's a bloody rock. It's a nice rock. I have it. It's here. Might as well use it. And so off I go to New York with this bloody rig, <laughs> with this great intention. Had it somewhat planned out. It's like, okay, we're going to do this photo shoot. We're, I don't know where the hell we were in New York, this photo shoot in the streets and all these kinds of things. At the end of the photo shoot, the photographer is like, anything else you want to do? And I say, like, oh, yeah, I have this idea. <laughs> and so we're in this alley. It wasn't, it wasn't really like a roadway or something like that. And so I dropped to one knee and I proposed. And the photographer was able to capture that moment and how brilliant it was. Soon thereafter, what came to be was the history of this ring. And hot damn, that changed things. I can assure you that changed things from what I thought was this brilliant romantic expression and intention soon turned into not that. We're in New York. This experience happened and then we split again. She was going back to Canada. I came back here. This took on a life of its own. And what soon came to be was not what was meant to be of this romantic gesture, this attempt to solidify not only our relationship, but our future moving forward. That was my intention. But the more people got involved, the more people thought what a terrible idea that was that I offered this ring. And I soon realized, damn, that was a really bad idea because it soiled everything that I was attempting to do. And it led me into a place of certainly embarrassment, absolutely humilia humiliation, and drove me into a place of shame. And that was very difficult to hmm, grapple with. And I've been there many times before. What I know about shame and my relationship to it, it is a brutal teacher. Blistering. But I also appreciate it in my own way now because I know when I'm going there, there has to be an element of surrender. And then pull myself out. And as I extract myself out of that place of shame, I can take with me a lesson. I've only been able to do that because I've lodged myself into that place so many times in my life. I am hard-headed. And I've set myself up to experience some hard lessons in my life. And this is one of them. And our relationship took a hit as a consequence of that. And what I see in that is there's arrogance. I already know enough and I'm right. I'm right about this. I don't need to talk to anybody. I don't need to talk to anybody about this. Had I had any sense, I wasn't so stupid, I would have talked to somebody. And most likely that person said, don't do that. Even my sister's like, why didn't you say anything? We would have told you. <laughs> there was a level of deceit because I wasn't straight. 
I wasn't as forthcoming as I could have been around all of this and could have saved myself a lot of heartache. And the resentment that came was absolutely true. I was embittered. And it took me a while to unsettle that, that resentment I had around the experience. Because people, some people were, very, were not very kind to me. And I've noticed that yet again through this experience, there's people in the periphery you know, of my life that any chance they get to just slam me about certain things, they'll take that opportunity. And that happened in this case, which did not feel good. One of the benefits of an experience like this was I had to practice humility. I had to practice telling the truth and I had to practice forgiveness. The antidotes to these hindrances. And what came out of the experience for me was redefining my relationship to relationship. What I understood, what I, what I realized is my relationship to marriage wasn't even mine. I adopted it. It wasn't even mine. Parents passed it on to me, family lineage, whatever. It's like, wow, this is really interesting. I have a unique opportunity to look at my relationship to marriage. And what I noticed is not mine. And what I thought was very important to me isn't all that important to me, which is very curious. But I got to that place. It's like, I don't actually need to be married to have a relationship with somebody, a caring, committed relationship. I don't need it. It's not a prerequisite. I appreciate marriage and the institution of marriage, absolutely, because it is very unique, that bond that comes from marriage, the promise, and various different promises that I believe in because the promises strengthen relationships. That's how I see it, which speaks to a value I have, which is loyalty and the importance of that. And so the antidote, antidote to arrogance is humility. What do I need to learn? A humble person is a growing person, which is not the easiest track. The antidote to deceit is tell the truth and attempt to live in the most truthful manner. And truth redeems. We know that when we start telling the truth, that's a healing process in of itself. We can heal ourselves by telling the truth. And that is not bloody easy. It's like vomit inducing. <laughs> telling the truth. Ah! And the antidote to resentment is forgiveness. The art of releasing resentment, regaining your power and freedom and how important that is because resentment is poisonous. It'll shred us from the inside out until there is nothing left while other people are just living their life. Very strange, isn't it? I hate you and I'll hate you from a distance. And so what these lead into, certainly the, uh, the hindrances, the hindrances, arrogance, deceit, resentment, lead into the pathway to social collapse. It's so very easy to steal yourself away. So much so you hide in plain sight. I've been brilliant at that in my life. The capacity to hide in plain sight. Cloak myself in arrogance, deceit, and resentment. Use that for all the excuses I needed to hide myself. 
all in a relationship. If you can't tolerate the truth and you're someone that constantly runs away, then you'll continue to run away. Welcome to avoidance. And the deep desire to run away from problems. And if you continuously have a way out, you'll never be motivated to solve any problems. If you always give yourself the way out, why would you be motivated to solve a problem? Just move on to the next thing. We can do that in relationships. It's one of the reasons I appreciate marriage. It's like if you promise that to somebody, you're going to be with them to the end of time, which is a huge promise. Can you live into it? Can you do what you need to do to live into that? I was married for 10 years and I didn't. I have a lot of sadness around that. Because I know what that can lead to. Future generations, certainly for my daughter, coming from a broken home. The chances of her reliving that is really quite likely. Which is really sad to me. I hope that's not the case. And ideally the teachings coming her way will ground her into making better decisions than I did. The pathway to social collapse leads us into the bite of loneliness. It's a tough place to be. We're so in ourselves, people can't stand to be with us because we can barely stand to be with ourselves. That's what's waiting for us. The antidote to social collapse is to shake the illusion that somehow the person responsible for creating trouble is not you. <laughs> because it is you. In some way, it is you causing trouble in your relationships. And to be able to shake that illusion out, that somehow you're perfect. You don't need to change. It's all the other person. And be committed to telling the truth to the degree in which you can, which is extraordinarily difficult because it's you. And what do you know? <laughs> Not much. But the ability to stumble yourself forward into telling the truth, into standing in it, and encouraging others to do the same thing. You have to peel back your explanations and excuses to order, in order to locate and discuss the truth. Okay, explanation, move, excuse, move. How do I move all of these things out of the way so I can actually see the seed of truth? The cause of what's occurring in my relationship, whether it's good or bad. And that's what you're practicing on your mat. Like it or not, you're leading yourself into a place that strengthens your relationships or the opposite of that, devaluing them, holding on to your arrogance and deceit and resentment. If you don't think you do that on your mat, you got to wake up. It's very easy to practice these things all of the time, and to constrain them and move them out of you through the practice of yoga. Think about Kriyas as an example. Ah, Kriyas, move yourself and get those things out of you so you can be in a clear space.
Monkeys agree. <laughs> hey, they just hoot and holler, move their energy. <laughs> and so the focus of this practice in front of you is on shoulders, shoulders, where we can hold the desire to control. Control others and self and the experience of being controlled by others in our shoulders. We can get tight in our shoulders. And so I'm going to move, move you in various different ways in your shoulders. And to see what bubbles up. And allow yourself to bubble up this practice. And see what comes flying out of you. And so I have one question for you. To make this conversation real. I'm so pleased I didn't vomit. Yeah. If you think about the hindrances up on the board, arrogance, deceit, resentment, which one's more prevalent for you, you the individual? All three of them are, obviously. It's true for each of us. But which one is more prevalent now for you? Is it your arrogance? Is it your deceit? Is it your resentment? Say it again. Resentment? That was a lot of resentment. I was Okay, that was a lot of resentment in the room. Okay, and my brother, my one lone brother. Yeah. Deceit and arrogance. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of reasons to hold resentment. Boatloads. There's a lot of reasons to practice deceit and arrogance too. These are all protective stances. There's a lot of reasons why to protect ourselves. We're a threat. People are a threat. The world is a threat. So whatever you identified up on the board, you know, shake it out of you this morning. It's a pathway to healing. It's definitely the pathway to social interactions that support health and well-being. And that's needed. So let us practice. <laughs> 